Good evening. Grace and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Guilt is the residue of sin in our lives. It ruins our relationship with one another as well as God. The liturgy of the divine service begins by providing the healing that we need. And it's one thing to admit your fault. It's, it's quite another thing to have someone else confirm it, that your confession is necessary, and then to repay your confession with forgiveness. I'm convinced that our confession of sins in the liturgy can be made with so little realization of what's going on that it hardly ever really takes place. The pronouncement of absolution shakes the very foundation of our imperfect lives. Absolution acknowledges that we are right to confess our sins. Forgiveness, proclaimed by God through the pastor, opens the doors to heaven. It provides a glimpse of Christ. It assures us of a sure and certain hope, and it heals our broken souls. But we spend so little time in, the, in daily devotions, in daily personal devotions, we spend so little time searching our own souls that we come unprepared for the impact of confession. We carry our subconscious guilt into the public worship, but we have so little awareness of it that the sins that give rise to it, that we see not heal we don't see the healing and absolution learning to see someone's sins begins with a willingness to allow it to happen a willingness to develop the insight a willingness to recognize sin when it happens if we're not willing to confess our sins then we merely bury that guilt and we bury it deeper and deeper as the years go by where it eventually metastasizes into irritability insecurity and depression. Guilt may wear a dozen different masks. A vague, generalized disease of guilt makes it virtually impossible to appreciate the forgiveness that God offers for specific sins. I know that God forgives me, but I can't forgive myself. This may be true, but God can and does forgive sins when confessed. And general confession may pass us by because we do not attend to our need for it. It's good to observe a moment of silence before the confession of our sins. A moment where we can collect our thoughts to prepare our hearts I fear never providing enough time, and if I did, I fear that some would be left with little to do and may grow impatient and irritable about all this quiet time in the beginning of the service. Since it's rarely provided in the public worship outside of using it for meditation, it may seem a little more than uncomfortable. People are not used to silence. It makes us uncomfortable. Our life is constantly filled with music and TV and noise. Music and, and it keeps music and, and noise keeps our, our guilt and our disease at a distance. Too often the unease of silence makes us impatient. We want to be done with the liturgy that allows for such discomfort. Some congregations many years ago eliminated the general confession and worship altogether. 
Some of them claimed that it was unnecessary. Others thought it was too threatening to newcomers. But the fault was not with confession. It's with the heart of the worshipers whose own very sinful nature resists the renewal that God provides. When my wife and I confess our sins to each other, not often, by the way, we speak an absolution together for each other. It's both humiliating and healing to say, I accept your confession as necessary to our relationship, and I speak my forgiveness to you as God has spoken unto me. There's a difference between a confessing one's sins to God in public or to a, a pastor in private or to a spouse or a coworker or a friend. Likewise, there's a difference between being forgiven by God and being forgiven by a spouse. When a husband confesses unto his wife that he has wronged her, he hopes that he will be forgiven by her, and unless he also confesses to God about his wrongdoing, he has not yet enjoyed the absolution of God. God's absolution comes through the word that God speaks in Holy Communion. This is why Paul argues that Christians ought to make peace with those who have sinned against them before coming to the altar for God's forgiveness. Our refusal to confess sin is met by God's refusal of our entrance into his very real presence. We may occupy the pew, but to stand in God's real presence begins with confession of sins. That is why the purpose of the general confession is to prepare us to stand in the presence of God. As the psalmist says, with clean hands and pure hearts, Psalm 24. God is holy and we are his holy people, but we violate that holiness by our sins and we need to be restored. And if we are unable to think of a specific sin to confess, which as Luther said is hardly even possible, if there's nothing particular that troubles our lives or souls, the general confession is an opportunity to confess what Kierkegaard notes, that in the relationship with God, we're always wrong. After receiving absolution, in relationship to God, we are always right. Public confession and absolution are public for a reason. Although we do not know one another's specific need for absolution, our common confession of sin reminds us that we are all in this together. We are all part of the body of Christ. None of us can claim to be more in this life than a redeemed sinner. We kneel before the altar alongside redeemed sinners. What other opportunity offers so great a healing in our lives? The closest thing to it outside the church is a secular confessor's office, but even there the confession of sins is almost never made. There's, and there's no absolution. The best that you, can, you could hope for is maybe resolution. If communion or in communion... If we're at odds with one another in the congregation, we ought to be reconciled before we celebrate that communion. We're not alone in the faith, but we are members of the one body of Christ. There is no room for people at the altar who are unwilling to work at reconciliation. Confession of sins begins in the public worship and needs to take on a day-to-day -day continuance. If anyone does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God of whom he has not seen. 1 John chapter 4, 
verse 20. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought and word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we justly deserve your present and eternal punishment. But for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy upon us. Forgive us renew us and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. By nature, sinful and unclean. In relationship to God, we are always in the wrong. We acknowledge sin as being a thought as well as a deed. We confess sins that we have done and the things that we have not done. It is also, it is not enough To avoid doing the wrong, it is also necessary to do the right. Not when called on to do so, but when not called to do so. Having not loved God with our whole heart, out of a lack of love for God, out of a half-hearted love for one another, loving God is not just something that we feel. It is something that we do. And we do it with a right attitude. Confession, therefore, is the observation that we do indeed deserve to be punished. But it is not the punishment that we are entitled to inflict upon ourselves. It is not the punishment that we deserve or entitled to inflict upon someone else. Those who make themselves miserable on account of their guilt are taking on themselves the prerogative of God. God does not call us either to inflict harm upon ourselves, nor does he give us permission to inflict it upon anybody else. It may occur in the secular realm that punishment for crimes is appropriate for Christians, but not in the spiritual realm. The only one entitled to inflict punishment is God, and God does not inflict punishments, but its goal is to draw us closer unto him. Christ Jesus takes the ultimate punishment for our sins. Any attempt to make restitution through self-inflicted harm adds to the list of sins, of self-pity and grief, remorse, doubt, self-inflicted punishment, or wallowing in sin. There is nothing left to do when God removes our sins but to rejoice in the removal of those sins, to rejoice in absolution. Now, in many cases, it's easier to wallow in our sins. It requires faith to rejoice in forgiveness. It's not easy to let go of our need for punishment. But God is a God of grace and not of our destruction. Christ alone became the embodiment for sin for us and destroyed sin's power over us and by destroying our sin in himself. Sin, the offense against God's holiness, has been dealt with on the cross. The depth of which is expressed in Jesus' words of abandonment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Leaving behind our guilt, we move on in the worship of God. With angels and archangels and all the company of heaven. Having been prepared to do so through confession and absolution, we sing the Sanctus, Holy, Holy, Holy. 
Without confession and absolution in the liturgy, we could never stand in worship. Without confession and absolution, we could never return to our homes for another week of living faithfully in a fallen world. He who conceals our sins does not prosper. But whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. Proverbs 28, verse 13. And in the mercy comes healing the healing we need at the hands of our most gracious God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.